0: This is the Disciple Makers Podcast.
1: The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Monty Starks from Life
0: on Life Missional Discipleship hosted a track called How to Pursue and Disciple the Heart Like Jesus. Here's the track session from Life on Life Missional Discipleship.
1: Good afternoon, and uh, let me introduce uh, myself. My name is Monty Starks, and I'm here with uh, Ryan Brown, and uh, he will share more about himself in a moment. Married uh, for 23 years, have four kids: boy, girl, boy, girl. They're all two years apart. God is funny um, because we plan none of that. Um, Two in college, two in high school, and uh, just love them to death. Miss them a lot. Uh, Ryan and I are both pastors at Perimeter Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Been there for a while. And our pastor started the church 40 years ago. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. He started the church by discipling men. That's the only thing he knew how to do. In the 70s, he didn't go to a church planning conference. There wasn't church planning conferences or books all back then. So he just said, the only thing I'm going to do is disciple men. So he's actually in his 51st straight year of discipling men. Uh, My first discipleship group is 1989. So I'm in my 28th year of discipling guys. Um, and love it, and will never stop. I hope when I'm 89 years old, I can point to guys. Uh, and I just don't want to say that. Oh, we like discipleship. I literally could show you picture after picture after picture. I meet Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. I got a lawyer in my group. I got a worship leader in my group, which is really interesting. A lawyer and a worship leader. Um, but and then another guy in my group actually is a church planter. Um, um, I have every walk of life you can imagine been. My discipleship groups just love it. But my number one disciples are those four kids. If you're married in this room, you don't have a choice. God has given you your number one disciples and you need to invest in them. So uh, what we do at Perimeter, it's called Life on Life. And so we actually are uh, part of the church. It's not a um, 501c3 in itself. It's it's part of Perimeter Church. And we just go around the world uh, training churches how to disciple like Jesus. Uh, we're in six continents. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I just got back this week from Malaysia, Singapore, Dublin, and Belfast, since they're all right next to each other. Um, actually, I had to fly back through Amsterdam, so Dublin and Belfast were close by there. Uh, we have partners in all those places, and it's about giving it away. We love it. We want to give it away. So, we example, we train eight churches in Brazil. And then they train 24 churches, they train 61 churches, and this year they're training 94 churches in nine states, all of Brazil. 85 of those 94 churches have no idea who we are, we don't care. We want to give it away. So, what's unique probably about our ministry is our training process is two and a half or three years. Do you know what would be Easy. What would be easy is what we're doing this weekend, which I think is a great exposure, and that is if we had a conference, sold some books in the back for two days and say, I hope you have a great life, buy our curriculum, that would be easy. But to walk with people through life for two and a half, three, three and a half years, where we go face to face, I've been in Brazil a dozen times, we go face to face. They've been to Atlanta several times. We get on coaching calls, Zoom, Skype, and so on, and we walk through life. So when we target a city, we target a place. We'll spend Brazil's eight years. Poland's been nine years. Um, India's been twelve years. Uh, it's just amazing just to walk through with them. But it's we just don't go and just hey, here's how you do something. We model for them as we walk through. So what we want to do with this track is we want to get them something that we believe is a huge foundation of what we do to train people to disciple well, and that's to go after the heart. I believe that the church does a poor job going after the heart. What they do is just kind of dump knowledge on people and hope they get it and run through life. And so we're going to go after what is the heart biblically. We're going to go after how do you train someone into to be able to understand their own heart and then understand someone else's heart because lasting transformation has to go through the heart. It has to go through the heart. I wish it was simple because here's how uh, I counsel people, marriage counseling. They come in my office and usually, you know, I kind of hear that there's an issue and then I read Ephesians 5 to them and ask them if they have any questions. <laughs> the Word of God is sharper, sharper than any double edged sword. It will pierce down and change hearts. But we have to go after the heart with powerful questions to draw out what the Holy Spirit's doing in people's lives. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So before we get into that, I want to show this just three and a half minute video because everybody asks us when we jump in, what do you do, what it's about, how do you do? And then after I show the video, we're going to get into what is the heart biblically. And we're going to actually model for you for this first session. And then the second section, we're going to give you literally more detail about the heart. And then you're going to actually engage one another a little bit, which is a lot of fun. And then tomorrow is this whole skill training. We're going to walk you through where if you come in our track the whole time, you're going to leave here with skills, multiple skills to know how to get after someone's heart and especially their own. Not only will it impact your discipleship, but it'll radically change your marriage. And I have to warn you, if you're a couple in here and you're going to stay their whole track, I'm sorry. Um, we train like this a lot of times. There's a couple sitting on this side of the room. They were married for 27 years. And after the second session, the wife said, the lady I just met and engaged her heart for 15 minutes knows more about my heart than the husband does for 27 years. That is a very normal thing because we're going to put you in a situation. Uh, it's very easy. It's very simple. But to ask questions that you might have not never been asked. And your spouse might never ask you those questions. So, I just want to warn you, uh, this happened, and uh, has it happened more than once? Oh yeah, it's happened more than once. So, um, But it's good, it's just, uh, we have to get each other after each other's heart. So what do we do, what's it about? I explained a little bit, let's watch this video, and then we're going to jump right into what uh,
0: biblical heart here. If I can actually um, hit this thing and see if it works here. Why is it that countless churches excel at preaching and programs, but struggle to make mature and equipped followers of Christ? Churches typically go from preaching and teaching to deploying. We tell people what to do, then send them off to do it. But the problem with proclamational leadership is that it sends out believers who aren't yet trained and mature. It leads to discouragement, disillusionment, and disengagement. Jesus didn't direct and delegate. He discipled. He didn't merely inform his followers by sharing his knowledge, he transformed them by sharing his life and having them join in his ministry. Jesus modeled incarnational leadership, discipling his men, (coughs) joining them in the trenches while preparing and coaching them to multiply and to be sent to the front lines. We call it life-on-life missional discipleship, and we believe it's the missing middle in the life of the church, the center of the hourglass. Preaching, teaching, and small groups deliver great truth and create meaningful fellowship. But life-on-life missional discipleship equips us to go from belief to maturity, leadership, and impacting other disciples and the lost world. Without Christ-like discipleship, Christ followers cannot become kingdom leaders, and congregations can cherish the word, but cannot change the world. Remember, when God wanted to build his church, He didn't send a program to implement. He sent a person to imitate. And the life that Jesus lived, the model he gave, was defined by life-on-life missional discipleship. Jesus shows us how to think big, start small, and go deep. He pursued a big vision for the world by selecting a small group of men and investing deeply in their lives. As Paul says, we shared the gospel with you and our lives as well. This is the heart of discipleship. When people who are being conformed to Christ share their life, they pass on Jesus' life. The life of Christ leaves a legacy of generations that the gospel spreads around the world. That's why life-on-life missional discipleship groups are unlike traditional small groups. They focus on life transformation, not just fellowship or knowledge transfer. They're small, with four to six people who are carefully selected and highly committed, and they multiply we make disciples who can go and make more disciple-makers. As each leader goes on to raise up more leaders, and those leaders raise more leaders still, the growth of the movement is exponential and explosive. This is not a novel idea or a quick fix. It's simply the way of Jesus. It's not a new method, but an old method with new people. Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. As we have focused on -on life-on-life missional discipleship, The blessing has been profound. By God's grace alone, we're seeing life on life missional discipleship movements rise up throughout the United States and around the globe. Wherever God's plan is followed, we see new believers, new leaders emerging, and congregations impacting their families, neighborhoods, cities, and nations. Discipleship was Jesus' model, his method, his mandate, and his mission. There is no plan B. Register now for the next informational call to find out more about how to ignite a life on life missional discipleship movement in and through your church. So,
1: that's just a little bit about uh, what we do. But let's dive in right now to look at the heart. When we think about the heart, how does the Bible define the heart? And one thing we have to realize is the Bible defines a heart as the whole person. It defines the heart as the whole person. So we're going to talk about the whole person today. We're going to talk about how you were created in the image of God. So I have to ask you this question. If someone were to ask you, what is God like, what would you say? Just shout it out. Full of love. Full of love. Gracious. Jesus. What? Jesus. Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. Usually when I ask this, we go for a lot longer until I get that answer. We go, He's loving, He's caring, even He's wrathful. I mean, we could go on in His, his character. What's happening in today's world is people want to see something they can feel, they can touch. And, you know, it would be absolutely amazing if God were to kind of walk among us. He has. What was... God's and we're going to talk about actually God the Father what's Jesus Jesus Christ like if you were to ask me what God is like it's like Jesus so let's look at at, at Jesus life let us look at Jesus' heart and let's think about how if he lived out of his full heart and I hope that we can see in a, a new enlightening today so if you would turn your Bibles to John chapter twelve. John chapter 12, we're just going to look at one example, and then I'm going to ask you about more examples. As we look at living out of our full hearts, how are we created in the image of God? Now some people already think as you turn to John chapter 12, you know, how am I created? Well, you're created in the image of God, so let's look at God and His image, alright? So in John chapter 12, we're getting to verse 20. Okay? Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, glorify your name now let's go back up to the beginning here and uh, i'm going to give you a context a little bit then we're going to dive and look at the heart of jesus again living out of his full heart Uh, what happens in the context here is some greeks come and they start asking about jesus and then in verse 23 actually yeah verse 23 jesus does something first He actually has a thought. So Peter and Andrew come to Jesus and they say, Hey, the Greeks are coming to look for you. And he goes, Ah, I have a thought. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, let me tell you the context here. If we had time to look at what the theologians believe, if you read a lot of the Isaiah 40s, 50s, and 60s, the chapters there... They refer to prophecy f- being fulfilled. Then when the foreigners and islanders start coming asking about Jesus or the Messiah, it's time. Wow. That's good. So here Jesus goes. The Greeks are asking, boom. So I'm going to give you a, a couple little thoughts here. Is this how do we know? that Jesus did three plus years of ministry and not 41 years of ministry or 62 years of ministry. How do we know He did three plus years of ministry? How do we know? Passovers. There are three Passovers before Jesus starts His ministry or right after Jesus starts His ministry we see Passovers, there are three of them, and then He goes to the cross. Okay? Three Passovers. Second question. Why didn't Jesus go for 14 years? (laughs) Are 22 years, or 29 years? Why did he just do three plus years of ministry? What we just did here, the Greeks have come and says it's time to go. Finished. I've finished. It, it's time. The, the gospel has gotten out farther. So he has a thought, and what is his thought? In verse 23: The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is he referring to? Specifically, what is he referring to? He's referring to the hour, which is what? Which, what hour? His death, but specifically what, what about his death? Yeah, his crucifixion. How many people in the room call their glory being beaten, whipped, nailed to a tree? Anybody, anybody call that their glory? I think what we call our glory is our... Look at my resume. Look at my diplomas. Jesus literally calls it the hour of son the hour's time for the son of man to be glorified. So Jesus has a thought and then he gives this little homily, this little sermon, sermon about dying like a seed and serving with him. And then in verse 27, he starts living out of his heart in even a deeper way. He says, "Now my soul is Does anybody else have a uh, 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 word beside troubled in their translation? Do what? Distress. Distress. What translation do you have? The source. Okay, the source. Anybody else? Everybody else has troubled? So we have one distress. That's closer, but n- neither of those are the true Greek. Despair. If you look at the true Greek, oh, we have a despair? Despair. What, what's your translation? No, I just looked it up in Greek. Okay. actually, Actually, it's worse than that. The Greek word there is he's agitated and very perplexed and he's coming to despair with anger. Now you tell me if I stood before you and I say, hey guys, I am so angry, I'm so perplexed, I'm so agitated, so frustrated. You would say to me what? Calm down and probably what? Pray. Pray. Get it together. Right? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And you're probably in sin. So translators don't want to go, and now Jesus did a bunch of sin. You know what Jesus was doing in verse 27? He was feeling. He had true emotions. What was he thinking about again? He had a thought. Now he has feelings. What was he thinking about? The what? The crucifixion. He wasn't going, oh, I'm so glad. Woo! Going to the cross. That's great. I'm so happy. It's going to be a beautiful day. He's going, oh my goodness, it's time. I'm so perplexed. I'm agitated. Now let's stop for a second. Did God the Father have feelings? What were those? Name them. Oh, what? grieved. He was very grieved. What else? Angel. Anger. Anger jealousy. jealousy, love, and so on. Did Jesus have feelings other than the ones I just read? Yeah he, has them all. yeah, he was extremely sad. Okay, What did he do right before he entered the temple? Right before he entered the temple, what was he doing? I'm talking like minutes before he entered the temple. No, before he entered the temple. You know what he's doing out? He was outside creating what? He was outside getting the whip. He's going, I'm going in that freaking place and I'm going to kick me. He didn't go, hey, would you mind moving your stuff off the table, please? I'm going to throw. It was his father's house. He was extremely angry. He created a whip. When he's riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday, Hosea in the highest. Oh, praise. And he's riding side saddle because he's got the skirt on. He couldn't fit over. So he's riding side saddle. And he's, and he's on the camel. And he's, I mean, he's on the uh, colt and he's riding in. What is Jesus doing? Um, and, and your, in your Sunday school books, he's got a halo and he's smiling. That's not what the Scripture says. What's he doing? Literally on the camel. I mean, excuse me, on the colt, the donkey. It says in the Scripture he's wailing, he's weeping. They're all praising Him and He's just bawling because He's seen the lostness of the world. Jesus is extreme. You tell me another passage. What was Jesus doing when he was, he was in the garden? I always have to take out my glasses for this. He was in the garden and He's praying. And He so longs for fellowship and He longs for those three guys that came with Him. Will you please pray with me? And he goes and he, and he talks to the Lord. He comes back and he says, please pray with me. And then he starts to do what in the garden? Sweat, Sweat blood. Sweat blood. Do you know everybody in this room is capable of sweating blood? That's not a divine thing. That's a human thing. Mm-hmm. That's medical. That is very medical. What you can do is, is you have your capillaries that have water and salt that normally come out of those. What happens is your capillary glands burst. And instead of salt and water, they come blood. And you know how you have to get that way? Is there any other way? Can this cop be taken from me? He's not... He's a normal person. You know what we do in the church? We look at our wife or something and... Well, "Well, you treat him this way and I feel really bad. Well, you don't have the right to feel that way. Hold on a second. The church is poo-pooed on people having emotions. If you sin out of your emotions... That's called sin. But if I look on a TV screen about young girls being raped and I'm sitting here going, I'm supposed to give it all together? You come in my house and touch those two girls? You're not leaving my house. We're creating the image of God. Oh, but Monty, I don't really get in touch with my feelings. I don't get in touch with my emotions. Well, then Jesus must have been a wimp, right? Jesus must have been some kind of guy who didn't really live out of his full heart. But, did Jesus act upon those emotions? Because what did he want to do in the garden? And what did he want to do right here? I'm gone. I'm done. I'm out of here. That's what he wanted to in his feelings. But what happened in this passage? He says, should I say in verse 27, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose have come to the Father, for this hour. Father, glorify your name. What he's doing there is he's living out of his deep desires. His deep longings. I'm not going to be controlled, even though my emotions are normal, thinking about what I'm heading toward, but I'm going to live in my deep longings, my deep desires, and I long to glorify the Father. That's what I'm going to do. From his deep desires, what does he do over the next hours and days? He goes to the cross. He goes to the cross. He goes to the cross. He lives out of His full heart, His full life. In my discipleship group, a guy came in and said, uh, we're studying stewardship at the time, just to have being wise stewards. A guy comes in and And says, hey Monty, he kind of throws material down on the on the on the on the table and says, I want to quit my job. I just want to quit my job. Wow, do you do you mind if I ask you a few questions about that? Said, yes. And said He said, You ask him, just tell me more about it. He said, Well, my boss hates me, he's not on the team. He doesn't want to be a part of the team. I want to quit. I hate my job. And I said, Wow. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions more about that? I said, yeah, I said. Well, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel in like going home and filling out my resume and you know, just just filling it out. And you know, just sending it out to people. And I said, Wow. Can I ask you another question? How does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel like going to work and not even trying. You might have asked you another question. How does that make you feel? He said, you know what makes me feel like quitting today? Just, just calling him and quitting today. Do you mind if I ask you another question? How does that make you feel? Monty, I don't know what you're talking about. So I have a feeling sheet I keep with me in my discipleship groups and I slid it to him. There's positive words on the top and negative words on the bottom and I slid it to him. And I said, choose some words on the bottom. And he goes, Phew. makes me feel unvalued and alone. I said, there are other parts of your life that you feel unvalued and alone. Actually, very much with my wife. I said, what do you long for and desire in your relationship with your wife? I long for us to be a team. For her to respect my leadership in the home. For her to trust me that I would lead our home spiritually. I said, what are you going to choose to do out of that deep longing? And he said, I don't think I've ever told her that. I'm going to go home tonight and tell her. I asked him three questions. You know what I'd done 25 years ago in my discipleship group? I'd have said, he'd throw the paper, I want to quit my job. I said, listen, I know some guys in the church that are hiring. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, you know, you could get some resume with him. and That would be great, man. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Let me pray for you really quick. Oh, Lord Jesus, I really don't want to mess with his heart um, right now. I don't want to get into all the crap and dealing with it. Ooh, and, so just bless him in the name of Jesus and provide a new job. Amen. <laughs> we actually don't want to engage hearts, so we deflect. And I just model for you the most powerful thing you'll ever do in your Christian life, and that is to pray. But we use prayer a lot to deflect because we don't want to actually love people well, get in their hearts, get after their hearts. You know what we do? Men usually do this. The second way we deflect is we bring joke and sarcasm into things. When a guy starts to lay his, his, his heart down on the table, we just start going, oh yeah, you know, how about them braves? Or, you know, my wife does it. Oh, my boss is." it. We just start being sarcasm. We, we we shut people down. And we wonder why our wives especially are shut down emotionally in our marriages. Women, you know what we do? Usually, and again, I've talked to hundreds of women about this, you know what women do? is they become the Savior through their sympathy and empathy. When a woman starts to share, they're like, oh, that's okay, it's going to be okay, I know what you're going through. And we shut down letting the Holy Spirit deal with them instead of asking powerful questions to draw out so they can run to Christ and deal with their own hearts. We kind of be the Savior and bring our sympathy and empathy in on them. Jesus was the most incredible, incredible pursuer of hearts. Because transformation has to go through the heart. Jesus, John three, Nicodemus. What did he say? He wanted Nicodemus's heart changed. What did he say to Nicodemus? Get back in your mom's belly. You got to re- be reborn. You know how am I supposed to do that? You know Jesus was was literally dealing. In the next chapter, what does he do with the woman at the well? <clears throat> Yeah, hey, let's get out of your heart a little bit. Tell me about your five husbands. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus under transformation had to go through the heart. Peter, what did he do? Call out Peter. Be three times. He yes. Said, oh, yeah. I mean, multiple times. You know, one time he said, get behind me, Satan. I do not recommend that to say your spouse. <laughs> get my, that never has worked. I've never heard it work. Don't say it. My favorite is prob- probably... He's been beaten, he's bloodied, he's tied up, and Pilate takes him back to a room. And Pilate goes, "They're saying you're a king. Are you a king?" And he's beaten and bloody up. I mean there's nothing that's, that's coming across to Pilate that's going to look fiercer. It's going to look like he's going to take over Pilate. I mean, he looks as beaten up, oh man." And Jesus says, if you look at the Greek, he actually says, "Do you really want to know?" Because I'm from a kingdom you know nothing about. Amen. At the last moments of his life, he's still pursuing hearts. Judas. Who, who what did Jesus do with Judas? At the Lord's Supper, he said, You're gonna betray me. What did he do right before that? He got naked and did what with Judas's feet? Man, that is love. You're gonna betray me and I'm knowing it? I ain't washing your feet. I'm probably saying I'm getting the hell out of the room, right? Jesus, Judas comes up and he kisses him. And what does Jesus do at the last second? He's still trying to get Judas's heart. What does he do? Are you going to betray me? The worst thing. With a kiss? The most beautiful thing. I mean, he's still going after Judas' heart because he loves him. My, I uh, have uh, two boys, two girls. My boys were younger and, you know, the older one, four years older, always beat up on the younger one. And, you know, the younger would come crying up, you know. Ar, ar, you know, he beat on me. crying. And the other one, he's a tattletale. Yeah, you know, and so, as a father, I knew exactly what to
0: do.
1: <laughs> don't you ever touch him again. Don't you ever touch him Go to your rooms now for the next 16 days. Make it 16 months.
0: <laughs> right?
1: Why don't I... Pursue their hearts. Alright, older son, be quiet for a second. Younger son, tell me what happened. You know, he and me were wrestling and we were having fun but then he started beating on me and he's strong Oh, he didn't do it. Be quiet for a second. How did that make you feel? I don't look for perfect words. I'm just trying to get his heart. How did that make you feel? It made me feel stupid. What do you long for from your brother? And he he stopped crying and he goes, I long for him to treat me the way he treats his friends. I turn to the older son. When you hear that, how does that make you feel? Kind of makes me feel stupid too, but also kind of makes me feel special. How do you long to treat your younger brother? I know I don't do it, but I do want to treat him as I treat my friend. Like dad of the year. <laughs> I was like, I just take time just to go after and pursue and engage hearts. And get after what hearts are all about. <clears throat> that gets me riled up a little bit. <clears throat> um, I'm, I was driving up here um, with Ryan and uh, his car light came on, you know, the check engine light. That's never good, you know. So I said, got it taken care of. So I reached over. He was driving. I was reached over and I just started banging. the Bam, bam, bam. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm fixing the light. It's broken. It's right there. And he goes, no, Monty, it points to something that's in the engine. You see... When I'm watching a movie and a tear comes down my face or I get extremely angry in a movie and I'm going, look at the cinematography. It's unbelievable. No. The anger, sadness, the the brokenness is touching something down deep in the soul that the Holy Spirit has put there. That is a deep longing. Because listen to me, people. Delight yourselves in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I'm not talking about that your heart's deceitful above anything else, meaning it's full of sin and your sinful nature, and then we have to battle with that with Romans 7. Okay? That is your sinful nature. That's a whole other topic that we could have five seminars on, okay? What we're talking about is the Holy Spirit, what He's placed in you, or even as a non-Christian that you're creating the image of God to live out of your full heart. To live out of your full heart, to understand how you're created and live out of that. So God has put desires down in there, and we all have common desires. Creating the image of God. Do you know everybody in this room wants to be loved and to love? That's a common desire. Do you know everybody in this room wants to be in community and feel a part and known in a community? That's creating the image of God. Do you know everybody wants to worship something greater than themselves? Why do you think tribes worship trees or snakes or whatever it is? It's because their Creator worships something much bigger than themselves. We all have common desires that God's put down in us that we're calling out to live out of. At the same time, you have unique desires. You have unique desires that might be unique for you are unique for thousands or unique for millions, but a lot of us have these unique desires that God has put there. For example, is anybody in this room want to say, hey, I want to climb Kilimanjaro one day? Anybody here want to climb, go mountain hiking and climb? Not
0: Kilimanjaro. But
1: yeah. Okay, you know, up the stairs, whatever. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, anybody want to write a book that hasn't yet? Yeah, there's several people in the room. That's sin. Stop it!
0: Yeah.
1: it got, what, what about writing a book? What is leading you to think about that, pray about that? Oh,
0: God told me
1: to. Okay, God told you to. Yeah. And what out of that book would you desire for it to? To
0: give glory to God.
1: Anything else? Um,
0: so people would know my story.
1: Wow. And if people knew your story and the glory of God was all through your story and impacted people, what would that give you?
0: Mm That I was obedient, I guess. I I, I guess I would say it makes me feel good. That's not like the
1: right answer. Whatever's on your heart's the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And if you felt good, what else would that give you? Mm-hmm.
0: That could give me um, confidence to, you know, to keep on proclaiming what's been what's really happening
1: and to uh, yeah, move forward. So it would give you confidence to move forward, to yeah. continue to proclaim what has happened. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I could sit here and talk to you a little bit more. I'm just dying to know what that is. Are you guys? <laughs> I mean, you know what I did? Thank you for receiving the magic fairy dust that I put over you. You know, I asked you two most incredibly hard questions. And I just asked you the questions and just listened. We do a horrible job of listening to people. Listen to this, please. Do you know what? Every time you feel heard, you feel loved. If you truly feel heard, you always feel loved. You know how many times you've gone to meet with people? And I know Ryan and I have gone that too. I meet with Ryan and I'm struggling with something. I'll come back and, say, and my wife Amy will go, well, what did Ryan say? And I'm like, actually, I'm not quite sure what he said. He just listened to me. And I feel loved. I don't know remember member of the Great Council. I just felt loved because I felt heard. Mm-hmm. We have to get after the hearts of people So Jesus had these incredible thoughts, Jesus had the incredible feelings, Jesus had these incredible desires, Jesus had these incredible choices that he makes. And he lived out of this deep, deep longing in his life. This is normal Christian community. This is normal Christian community to live out of our full hearts. But we continue to shut people down on our marriages. We continue to shut people down on our discipleship groups. We shut people down on the church. We shut our children down. And we wonder why their emotions are all stirred up. And and they don't know what to do with their lives. And they don't know deep desires. You know how many husbands and wives that I've gone to and I looked at the husband and I say, let me ask your wife a question if that's okay. And I looked at the wife and I said, what do you long for as a woman, as a mother and a wife on this earth? You can see why couples that are here like, hold on a second, I don't think I've asked that yet. Let me ask that during the break, and then we because, I, because Monty's gonna model for us a little bit and he might bring me up some old. We haven't even asked that question. And God, if we delight ourselves in Him, we give the desires of our heart. See, what happens is is we're fearful because we want to tell our story instead of engaging people's hearts and drawing out what the Holy Spirit has and listen to their story. Because it's like, hey, listen, hey, that's great, but let me tell you about me, me, me. Me, 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 me.
0: me. me.
1: Now, what were you saying again? And we don't take time just to ask a few questions to engage people's hearts. So what we're going to do now is, a lot of times I don't like what we're about to do. Because we're actually, next time, we're going to give you, we're going to go into that you're creating with four aspects. Some of y'all probably might have already wrote that down, but we're going to go into the four aspects of your heart. And we're going to give you a time to engage one another and learn how to do this. Tomorrow we're going to go into super detail. But right now, Ryan is going to engage my heart in front of you guys, and he has no idea what he's about to engage me on. Ryan, do you have any idea? We do this around the world. It's a lot of fun when we do it in Chinese or Portuguese (laughs) because we have two translators up here, and they're going, you just said what? (laughs) Yeah. So he's going to come engage my heart, and he's going to try to model in a very simplistic way over normal Christian community, people ask us all the time. So, do you gauge everybody's heart every time you see someone? No, that would take time, right? That would take a lot of time. But we should do it a lot more, especially people in our my <coughs> discipleship group. I engage them all the time. When should you engage people? I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. I really don't know. Sometimes when you are walking, uh, you know, in church and you have something to go, and you are, I mean, oh, by the way, hold on one second. I think I got... Okay. Um, oh, my bad. I just did what 98% of us do, right? Oops. Don't you love talking to those people? Mm-hmm. Hey, I got something to share with you. Yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I
1: mean, would you just listen to me? I mean, if we would stop that, the Christian community would be rocked. We're going to go in some QA or you could just say still how that impacts you it's not going to like that. yeah so in discipleship Repeat you the question oh yeah uh, he said how do you um, if a people don't can't articulate and can't really understand what they're feeling or can't articulate how do you really engage someone's heart when they just say I'm bad or whatever is that the question Yeah. so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next session but um, in discipleship We'll say to the leaders as we train them in this area to say, train your people, help your people, model for your people is the best way. You know, if you want your people to bleed, you need a hemorrhage, right? So, um, you know, model, model, model. Be, don't be just transparent, people. And listen to me here. Transparency is a good word and a bad word transparency in a good word is you're opening your heart but you're being transparent. It's bad when and some people in the church are starting to use transparency is they just kind of dump their sin. You want people to be truly vulnerable. And what I mean by vulnerable is they, they're transparent and they take their heart out and they put it in front of you and say, I need help. They just don't, they're just not transparent and say, look how bad I am. they just going to get their junk on the table. No, no, we're not called to do that. We're called to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And I need to throw that heart. So in discipleship, we help that. Now, we'd also say with strangers and everything, with my kids, even the young, they just said they were stupid. I'm not looking for perfection. Could you do this with non-Christians is a lot of the questions that we'll even talk about next time. Absolutely. My next door neighbor works for this company. I went to him and said, hey, tell me about your company. And I'll end with this. And he said, uh, well, it's kind of a green company. You know, we're just kind of you know, doing stuff to kind of green up the world. And I was like, I don't really understand that, but that's Okay. And I was like, well, that's pretty neat. Uh, Tell me a little more about it. And he told me, I said, so when you work, kind of like, you know, how does that make you feel, you know, doing that kind of work? And he goes, you know what? It makes me feel like pumped up, man. It makes me feel just incredibly joyful. Cool. And so as you work, what do you really desire in your work? He goes, you know what? I want to change the world. With the green, you know. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. In 48 seconds... What do you think my relationship with my neighbor now is? Yeah. No one's ever asked him those questions. His boss hasn't asked him those questions. So um, it's ways that you could use. And again, please do not go home if you're in here. And we're going to get really detailed tomorrow. Please don't go home and go, it's happened every time. And we tell people don't do this, but you do this. (laughs) Please do not go home and say, Honey, I learned some really good skills.
0: And I'm going to try these out on you.
1: Hey, guys, married 17 years. I told him, Don't do it. Went home. And his wife said, Oh, try them out on me. He says, Well, you know, how does that make you feel? Well, you never wanted my feelings anyway. Okay, what do you really long for? She literally said this. I don't know what all the crap you learned, but get the hell out of my house. I want my husband back. <laughs> and, I, and and you know, and she was just, and, and he was just like, "Oh, this did not go well." I don't, and, and so, in other words, just don't. If you just be careful.
0: <laughs> be careful. I, I, but you, sh- we haven't even taught you skills yet. We're gonna do that in the next section. Yeah, and re- so we, we laid a foundation and we showed you an example. Everything that I did with Monty, we're about to tell you exactly what I did, and it's really simple.
1: You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. That message was from Life on Life Missional Discipleship's track called How to Pursue and Disciple the Heart Like Jesus from the National Disciple Making Forum. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.